We're in the last chapter of this book that is entitled First Peter in a series that we have entitled Strangers in a Strange Land. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you and you'll find uh, our passage on page 1016, page 1016. And we come to a, uh, this last chapter and it speaks to the issue of leadership, leadership within the church. And we've been learning for some time now that God has called his people to be strangers in a strange land. He's called us to live differently than the world around us. He's called us to suffer well for the cause and gospel of Jesus Christ. He's called us to not retaliate when people do wrong against us. He's called us to live differently than anyone else in this world. And he's given us some abilities to do that. We've been born into a living hope. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the local church that we as spiritual stones are being built into a spiritual house, First Peter has told us. And now he tells us that he has given us leaders who have the calling from God himself to serve well in shepherding the flock so that we may live out what it means to be strangers in a strange land. Men of our flock who are called to serve God by shepherding that flock, by being biblical examples of what it means to live out the principles and truths of 1 Peter all the way throughout this letter that Peter has written to us. And so I want to look at the first five verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to ask that you'd stand for the reading of God's word as we get into our text this morning, looking under the heading this morning of God's recipe for a vibrant church. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father God, we come before you with your word open. We are blessed to have this in our hands. We are blessed to be able to read your words to us. But Lord, let us not take it for granted. Let us do what your word says. Let us not simply listen to the words being spoken to us. Let us be the doers that James reminds us to be. Lord, we have sung about your amazing nature, the attributes that make you the one who is crowned with many crowns. We recognize as we see you enthroned in your glory and splendor that we are sinners in need of your grace. And so, Lord, we confess our sins to you this morning of turning our own way, of following our own desires and appetites. Lord, we're thankful for your church, a place where we can gather as Christians under the oversight of the elders who serve as examples for us. Lord, we pray for them that they would continue to serve in that way so that the people of God may be thoroughly equipped 
for every good work. Lord, I pray that we would humbly receive your word now so that we would live differently as a result of what we've been taught. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Many of you know I serve as a caterer as well as a preacher, an elder here at the church. And one of the things that's so very vitally important to us as a catering company is that we get our recipes right. When you deal with food, recipes are the thing that will either make a a meal taste good or make it taste terrible. Even just by a little changing of some simple ingredients, a recipe that could taste so good one day could taste so differently the next. Some years ago in the catering business, I had set out recipes that my employees were to uh, follow. And the problem was, is midway through one of our seasons of catering, a couple of my newer employees didn't quite like the recipes that I had established. They had personal tastes. They liked uh, things a little sweeter or, or a little more uh, salty. And, and so as a result of that, I started hearing from customers saying, hey, the food didn't taste like it usually tastes. It's a little different. Have you changed your recipe? To which I'd say, no, no, the recipe's the same. But what I had forgotten was it's not just the recipe that is important, but the person that is preparing the meal has to follow the recipe. Now they said, well, Tim, we're using the same ingredients. And I said, but how much of each of the ingredients are you using? To which they said, well, we don't like it that way. We want to do it our way. And I said, well, I don't like having to write checks to you either. But I do that, and I always get it right, don't I? And their response was, of course you do. And so I told them they had to stick to the recipe, not only in theory, but in practice. Today we're going to talk about elders, a term for some of you may be newer to you, and we're going to explain what this word elders means and why elders are so important to the church. You see, elders are the men in the church that have been given the responsibility to make sure the recipe of what makes for a vibrant and healthy church is lived out. You see, all of us would like church our own way. Some of us are already saying this morning, we sing too much. The music's too loud. Why is the person next to you saying, we don't sing enough and the music is too quiet Some of you say Tim preaches too long. Others of you say not long enough. Some of you say we need to have a cup dispenser holder or cup holders in our pew so we can drink. Others of you despise the very thought of having cups and drinks in the sanctuary. We all got preferences, don't we? We all could do church our own way. And the Lord knows that. And the Lord calls the people of God a flock of sheep. Now, right before you start thinking that's a warm and fuzzy good word, God says we're stupid, we're lost without shepherds, and little do we know the trouble we get ourselves in when we're not led well. And God's recipe is that there would be a group of men, a part of every local church, that would serve him as his under-shepherds, leading the flock of God so that there may be unity and vibrancy and a real health to the community of God's people. And Peter's got a word for this group of men, but it's only one part of the recipe this morning. 
because there's a word for the elders, and I'm going to spend a lot of time there. And then right when you think you're only going to hear a sermon uh, from an elder to elders, you're going to hear Peter then switches it and speaks to the congregation. And then he comes back at the end of verse 5 with a word for all of us. So let's get into this this morning, and let's see how uh, the ingredients that are imperative to God having uh, God giving the recipe for a vibrant church this morning. We want that at Village Bible Church, don't we? We want to be vibrant. We want to be healthy. We've got to follow God's recipe through his word. So let's look at what he says. Notice the first thing that we need to recognize this morning is we must recognize to be a vibrant and healthy church, we need elders who biblically shepherd the flock or the church. The first ingredient is that we need elders who biblically shepherd the church. Now, I want you to notice some things, first of all, that he says, he announces to all of these little churches that are meeting all throughout Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that he says to these churches, I want to exhort the elders among you. If you underline or circle or take notes, you need to make reference to the point that he speaks of eldering in the plural, not the singular. Okay? This is not one guy who leads the church in all these different churches, nor is it the idea of uh, the, the Catholic church that has one guy, the Pope, that oversees all of the church. No, the biblical model that we see in the New Testament is an idea of shared leadership, an idea of team leadership known as a team of elders. For many of you that are newer to this church, you need to recognize that this was something that the church wrestled with because culturally you have within your church, people will say, well, who's your senior pastor? Here at Village Bible Church, we don't have a senior pastor. If you want to know who's in charge, it's Jesus. Okay? Now, I have the role of preaching and teaching the word for the majority of our Sundays, but I serve as an elder, a part of an elder team. Here at this campus, we have nine men who serve as elders of this church. We have 17 men across the three campuses of Village Bible Church who serve as elders. Now, some of you say, what in the world is an elder? I know pastors, but I don't know elders. And so let's take a moment and understand that this idea of eldership, write this down somewhere, is grounded in an Old Testament pattern. It is grounded in an Old Testament pattern. The idea of team leadership and shepherding, it did not start in the book of Acts or in the pastoral letters that Peter and Paul wrote. But it is found in the Old Testament. Turn in your Bibles for a moment to the book of Exodus. If you go all the way back, keep your hand or a spot in 1 Peter. But we're going to go back to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and then the book of Exodus, all the way at the beginning of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at Exodus chapter 18 for a moment. Exodus 18. In the story of Exodus, what we've got going on right now is we have Moses, who has just led the people of Israel out of bondage of slavery in Egypt, after the ten plagues have plagued the people of Egypt, Pharaoh lets Moses' people and God's people go. And here we have Moses who has led the people out into the wilderness. And they are about to embark upon a place called Mount Sinai where they're going to receive the commandments of God. The ten commandments, of course, being the vast portion of them. And it is here that in Exodus 18 that Moses has a visitor. 
His visitor is his father-in-law. Now, for some, the very thought of your father-in-law coming to your place can be scary. I wonder what Moses was thinking. Here comes Jethro. Yes, that's right, Jethro. Not to be confused with Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies. So Jethro shows up, and notice in verse eight, or chapter 18, verse 1, Jethro has already heard about his son-in-law and the amazing things that God is doing through his son-in-law Moses and the people. Notice in verse 1, he's heard all that God has done for Moses and the people for, uh, and the, and for Israel, his people, how the Lord has brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, that's great. Anytime that my father-in-law can come in and one of the first things he says, Hey, Tim, I'm hearing good things about you. That's a good day for Tim. Okay? And Moses must have been like, Woohoo, things are good. My father-in-law thinks I'm doing a good job. And so notice, as the text goes on in verse 7, it says that Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and kissed him. If you're having trouble with your father-in-law, try bowing down and kissing him. See what that will do. So Moses does that, and it says, and they asked each other of their welfare. What that means is they, they talked about each other. How are things going? How's my mother-in-law doing? Okay, she's doing good. That's good. How are you doing? How's work, Jethro? And, and, and vice versa. And they went into the tent. Now notice it says that Moses told his father-in-law all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship that had come upon them in, that, in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. So Moses says, Jethro, let me tell you all the great stuff that God has done. You've heard the stories. Let me give you a bird's eye perspective. And so Jethro hangs with his son-in-law Moses for a while. And notice later on in the text, Jethro's excited, verse 10. He's blessing the Lord. Man, your God is a great God. Our God, Moses, that you have made known to us is a God that is a powerful and almighty God. But notice in verse 13. <clears throat> The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing, that is Moses for the people, he said, Moses, why are you doing all this for the people? Why do you sit alone and have all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said, here's the response. So here's the bummer. Moses is like, man, my father-in-law thought I was doing a great job. Now he's questioning me. That's what father-in-laws do. They question their son-in-laws, okay? And he says uh, to his father-in-law, he says, I do this because they come to inquire about God from me. And they have disputes and they have issues. And I have to decide, it says in verse 16, from one person to another. And I have to make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses says, father-in-law, you don't understand. I'm the leader. And because I'm the leader, they're expecting leadership from me. And as a result of that, I'm working myself ragged as a result. And notice what Jethro's response is. He responds with the following. He says, now listen here. What you're doing is not good. Notice verse 17. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you, Moses. You're not able to do it alone. Now he says in verse 19, Obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God in their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. 
So look for men, able men, from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they'll bring to you, but all the small matters they should decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and you will not bear the burden alone. Old Testament gives us an idea that team leadership is better than singular leadership. But notice this pattern is around in the Old Testament. A book of Ezekiel speaks about shepherds overseeing their flocks, not from a physical nature, but from a spiritual one. Spiritual leaders who are tending to the flock of God and the people of God in Israel. But notice this grounded Old Testament pattern becomes established as a New Testament practice. So it's an Old Testament pattern, this idea of shared leadership. But it moves in the New Testament very quickly to a New Testament practice. Now, in the early part of the book of Acts, the history of the church, we have, uh, we have very clearly the work of the apostles. The apostles, the 12 men who had walked with Jesus, of course, minus uh, Judas and plus Matthias, who was added at the first part of the book of, of Acts, they're out doing things, and they're preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts says in Acts chapter 2 that the Lord adds to their number, 3,000 after one service. And the Lord continues to multiply this group, and so we see the apostles in the first part of Acts active in the leadership of the church. But in Acts chapter 6, it seems as if the apostles are struggling to keep focused on the word and prayer and taking care of the daily needs of some widows. And so in Acts chapter 6, we have the first delegation of non-apostles to serve in a specific role and task that would serve the people of God well. But notice, if you turn in your Bibles to Acts 15, you'll see the Council of Jerusalem, and you will see there in Acts 15 that four times in that chapter, we don't just see the word apostles, but we see apostles and elders. And what you begin to see is a transition from the apostles leading the church to the elders leading the church. So that the 12 now are working in concert with the elders of local assemblies within uh, the, the first century church who are now taking a level of leadership. By the time we get to Acts 20, Paul is now leaving churches completely in the hands of elders. The church of Ephesus. He speaks to the elders, plural, that their job is to feed the sheep, to tend to the sheep, and to guard against false teachers who will come in and try to destroy the flock of God through false teaching. And so as a result of that, we see this team model of leadership throughout the Old Testament and brought into the New Testament where elders don't become apostles. The role of apostle is no longer here in our day and age. It was for a singular time and a purpose for a singular group of men, the 12. But now the church is to be led by elders. It's to be led by elders, all of them equal in their role. That means that the 17 men who serve as the elders of this church in the three campuses that it has serve together as one team following the ways of God to make sure that the people of God are well taught and well served. Now notice there are three elements to what this biblically shepherding, biblical shepherding looks like. Now notice Peter writes to the elders and he writes right away that he is an a, uh, he's talking to elders as an elder. Why in the world doesn't Peter just say, I'm an apostle? 
I think there's two things that we need to understand. Number one, I think he's being humble. I think he's wanting to talk to the elders as one of them, and of course that's going to make the elders listen as Peter identifies himself. But I also think that Peter was also recognizing that the role of elders was going to be the normative prescribed plan that God had for the church, and he establishes that. So nobody's confused. Peter says, I'm an elder, and I'm speaking to you, a group of elders in each of the churches where you're serving. Now notice, he speaks to them, and he says there are some things you need to be aware of. Number one, I want you to notice the requirement. What are these guys supposed to do? Now notice, the ones who are to serve as elder, we get something from the title, elder. What does that mean? It's the Greek word presbyteroi, and presbyteroi is where we get the word Presbyterian from. So you drive by a Presbyterian church. A Presbyterian church is a church that has assembled itself under the leadership of Presbyteroi, an elder-run church. And so we have this Presbyteroi. It's a word that literally means elder, which can speak of a person, uh, of a man who is uh, advanced in years. But mostly it is used speaking of a man who is spiritually mature. And so at the uh, ripe old age of 37 years of age, I am not an elderly man, but hopefully you will see me as a spiritually mature man. I've been serving as an elder here for 12 years, and so at the age of 25, I was far from being an elderly man, but the church saw fit that I was a spiritually mature man. And so we're dealing with mature prudent individuals who know the word of God, who know how to teach and proclaim the word of God, how to refute false teaching, and how to shepherd well. Now notice, what is the type of requirement that is needed of them as the person? Now here in 1 Peter 5, Peter doesn't address a list of qualifications. Paul does, and if you want to know the qualifications of an elder, read Paul's writings in 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives a list of qualifications. Titus chapter 1 gives a list of qualifications. But here in Peter, he doesn't give a list of qualifications, but there are requirements. Notice what he says. He says, I am a witness of the suffering of Jesus Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Well, what in the world, Peter, are you talking about? Peter says, let me just remind you, listeners, that I walked in spent time with Jesus. And in my days of spending time with Jesus, I saw two things that are very much bookends of my time with Jesus. Number one, I saw him suffer. Remember, Peter, James, and John were asked to go farther into the garden on the night that Jesus was arrested. And they saw firsthand Jesus in anguish. Jesus asking that this cup that the Father had given him, that it would pass by him. But then Jesus says, it's not my will, God, but it's your will. I want to do it. And he endured the cross with joy set before him. Peter says, I remember that. I remember the anguish of my Savior, of him sweating drops of blood in his anguish before the cross. He says, I was there. I saw him suffer. Secondly, he says, I've partaken in his glory. We know that again, Peter, James, and John were the three that were asked to go to a high place where Jesus would stand before them as simply another man, and then in a moment's notice, everything would change. Jesus would, would rise up, and his glory would be seen. For the first time 
in a way that was unveiled from his humanity. And Peter and James and John would look up and see Jesus with Elijah and Moses. And Peter would say, man, this is great. Let's see more of this Jesus. Let's, let's set up some tents so we can worship you. Let's just hang out here for a while. And so Peter reminds his readers, I've seen both elements of Jesus that are so critical to his humanity and deity. I've seen him suffer, and I've seen him glorified. Now, what in the world would this have to do with eldering? Why would Peter put that there? Because I believe that Peter is articulating that a man who serves as an elder must be a man who has not only seen the suffering of Christ, not only through the word, but through his own life, but as well has partaken in a glimpse of God's glory that is going to be revealed. What that means is Peter has now spent four chapters talking about that Christians, we have to suffer well. That as Christians, we're going to live as strangers in a strange land. And the job for us as Christians is to do that all the while giving glory to honor to God by serving the world around us with holiness and love. How are we to do that? Your elders are to lead you in that way. And so what elders need to be able to do is elders may need to be able to know how to suffer well for Christ. They've had to at some point endure some suffering. They know what it's like to be the unpopular one. They know what it's like to be held to a different standard in a world where the world says you can do whatever you want. The elders need to be aware of what it means to be a martyr in many ways for Christ. That's the word there, literally, to be a martyr, be a part of the sufferings of Christ. And so elders need to be aware of that. Number two, elders need to be aware of what it means to partake in the glory of Christ. What I mean by that is, how can an elder have hope unless he's seen God work in mighty ways in his life? An elder needs to see that prayer does do much in the life of a man who is faithful. An elder needs to be one who has seen God show up in the impossible, where it seems that there is no way that God makes a way. Why is all of this important? Because Peter is able to model and lead what it means to be a stranger in a strange land because he knew what it was to suffer for Christ, and he knew that what Christ had declared and had demonstrated to him was glorious. So elders need to be able to know how to suffer well so they can lead by example in that suffering. And they need to remind the people of God that we serve a God who is able to do the impossible. We serve a God who will work all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We serve a God who has made us more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so the elder's job in your times of suffering is to remind you of the greatness of God. The glories of God and what God is going to do when his glory is revealed. That is the requirement, Peter says, of an elder. But notice this requirement comes with a responsibility. He goes on and he says, all right, you elders, I'm one of them, but you elders, Peter says, are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Notice the phrase, they are to shepherd the flock. That word shepherd is the Greek word poimeno, and poimeno means literally to pastor. You see, culturally, we've messed things up. We've taken the job and we've made the job the title, okay, which it is in some ways, but we have forgotten as a result of that because we use the word pastor. Pastor is the name of the people that get paid to do ministry. 
Here at Village Bible Church, we hold to a New Testament model of leadership that our elders are the ones who pastor. Let me explain that. The nine men who serve as elders here, whether it is their vocational work or their bivocational work, we got one of those there, and then we have lay leaders, okay? All of them serve as elders who pastor, who shepherd the flock. So if someone says, uh, hey, how many pastors do you have at Village Bible Church? You don't say, well, Tim, Mario, Keith, and Scott. We've got nine pastors on this, in this church. Nine men who shepherd the flock. There is no distinction between lay elders and elders of a double honor that speaks of elders being paid. And that was a hard truth for this church to understand about 10 or 11 years ago. Because we said we're not going to go look for a senior pastor. We're going to look for a pastor who has the job of teaching as one of the elders. And so this church is, is, is led by a team of men who serve. And their job is to pastor, to shepherd the flock. Now notice something about the shepherding. It has to happen in close proximity with the sheep. Notice it says you are to shepherd the flock among you in verse 2 there. Among you. The idea here is that we cannot be a group of board of directors who sits in some ivory tower making decisions and making uh, decrees that our subjects, who we don't have any interaction with, have to follow. The role of shepherding is that you've got to be in close proximity with the sheep that you're following. Or that are the shepherds that you are following. They have to be with you, among you, amongst the people. Howard Hendricks of Dallas Seminary, who just passed away not too long ago, said if you don't like the elders, if you don't like the smell of sheep dung, don't be a shepherd. And so elders need to understand that they're going to be amongst the sheep. They're going to smell like sheep. And one of the key requirements and responsibilities for an elder is that we smell like you do. And so when you're stinky, we're stinky. When you find yourself in a mess all muddied up, we're down there with you, muddied with you. And then we're going and we're recovering you and bringing you back and helping you in your time. We don't sit there on the phone and say, well, hey, I'm sure sorry to hear what's going on. I wish I could do something. No, we're there with you in the valley of the shadow of death. We're there to serve. That's what elders are to do. The Bible makes it clear that as we look at our chief shepherd, that under shepherds are to lay down their lives for the sheep. Elders are, need to be men who are willing to say, you know what? I was really looking forward, and I'll tell you, this happens more often than not. There have been times, and I know other elders have run into this, we don't say a comment, and that is, boy, it is great to have a night off. Because when you say that, or man, I've been looking forward to sitting down and watching a ball game, I tell you, it's almost uncanny how many times the phone rings and there's an issue within the church. Elders need to be ready at all times. It is a 24-7 calling. They're entrusted with the flock. And so what that means is they've been given the job of giving oversight. Notice the text there. They are to exercise oversight. Well, what does that mean, Peter? What it means is they've got three very specific roles here at Village Bible Church. When we talk about shepherding and exercising oversight, we break it down into three ways. Number one, your elders should be teaching you doctrine. When I mean doctrine, I mean the Word of God. An elder should always 
have the word of God around. This is his staff. This is what he uses. This is his job description. This is what teaches us how the people of God are to be shepherded. And so the men that serve as elders must be men who are apt to teach, the scripture says. They must be able to refute bad doctrine. They must be able to encourage and direct the affairs of the church by using his word. And so elders are to teach doctrine. Write that down somewhere. Number two, they are to give direction. They are to give direction to the church as a whole through the vision, mission, and ministry of the church. We're to give you an understanding of what the core values of a good, local, healthy church is to look like, what we should be focusing in on. That should be a part of our directing. But notice our directing isn't just public, but it's also private. Many of you have come to different elders and said, hey, can I talk with you? I've got a question. Hey, my wife or my husband and I are struggling. We need some counseling. Can you, can you sit with us and spend some time with us? Can you pray with me? I've got a medical issue going on. Can you help me? I've got a wayward child that, that uh, I need to love in spite of all of their failures. I need counseling on, on a variety of things. An elder is supposed to give counsel to not only the whole, but to the one sheep that's asking for it. And number three, we are to teach doctrine, give direction both publicly and privately, and elders are to lead in disciplining those who wander away. And that's a difficult role. And elders, we get a bad name for it because we're given charge to lead in the disciplinary process when one of us wanders from the truth. Now that's, <clears throat> in a nutshell, what elders do. But in your bulletin, you were given an insert today. Just pull it out very quickly. And I want you, if there's anything that you read uh, today, I would ask that you would read this because what we're doing in this message is we're pulling back the curtain a little bit because you see from afar what elders do, but we want you to understand the totality of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so you'll see where the village logo is. This is an elder covenant that each of the elders have signed on a yearly basis that says we are going to serve in a way that honors God. It says because that Believing that God has called us to be overseers of his church, which he purchased with his own blood, we make this covenant together. And the elders have covenanted together. And I want you to notice number the third one very quickly. It says, I will remember the way in which God gently, graciously, and patiently shepherds me as I live out my calling as an under-shepherd of God's people, seeking to gently, graciously, and patiently shepherd them. And so you'll see the commitments that we make on one side. We've signed it. But you turn the page, and in that yellow box is what we believe it means to shepherd the flock of God. And very specifically, what it means to those who simply are uh, attenders of this church and those who have made a commitment to be members of this church because our shepherding will change in some of those ways because in some ways you've committed to us in, in, in some ways but not always, whereas members have committed to a farther, greater involvement of their elders in this local church. And so I want you to read over that because this is what we have covenanted with God to be a part of. Now notice, amidst these requirements and responsibilities, Peter gives some words. Notice he says to the elders. Elders, in verse 2, you can't do this under compulsion. So when we need an elder, we don't go and say, all right, Let's see, who can we drag into the elder position? We don't drag elders in. 
They don't come in kicking and screaming. It begins, number one, with a calling. If anyone, 1 Timothy 3, 1, desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble thing. It starts with a desire and a sense of calling by God. Let me tell you something. If I wasn't called to this role, you better believe I wouldn't be doing it. It's of no value, humanly speaking, that you have to take on other people's issues. You have to be one of the first people at church and the last one to leave. I mean, you got to know a lot of people's business that you really don't want to know because you're counseling. It ain't a fun job. It has been said it is the worst job that you can come to love. That's eldering. I want you to know in this church, elders are not a board of directors. We don't sit there in business meetings and, and just talk the business of the church. We shepherd the flock. We have two meetings as, a, as an elder team a month here. And one of our meetings is totally dedicated. And I want you to know this, and it may scare some of you, but that's good. It's good to be scared every once in a while. We spend one meeting a month, probably about three to three, four hours on a, on a Monday night where we go over all of you, and we talk about you. Yeah, we talk about you. How are you doing? What's God doing in your life? Are there areas of concern? Have you shared some concerns with us that we need to be praying about? Is there ways we can be helping you? And we go through the whole docket of everybody's names. Elders spend time, and they say, here's so-and-so in my flock. They could use prayer. They're, they're going to lose their job, or, or there's some marital strife there. We're not going to get into the details of it. We need to be praying for them. Or they've got a child who's walked away from the Lord. We need to be praying for that. And we talk about those things so that we can, as a group of men, counsel and lead well. And we do so so that we can shepherd the flock of God in a way that honors him. It's not about making decisions. It's about shepherding the flock. Notice, it is not to be done under compulsion, but done in a willing way. It is not to be done for shameful gain. You better not be doing it for the money. Not much money to be had there anyway, but... Okay, it's not to be done for that. It shouldn't be done so that you can have your name tag say Elder Tim. And when you walk in, everywhere, there's Elder Tim, there's Mr. Big Shot. He's an important guy in our church. No. We serve as fellow brothers and sisters. We serve you as fellow brothers of Christ, to you the flock of God, as ones who have been saved by the same grace that saved you. And God has called us to a role and responsibility to serve him well. Notice he says that it also isn't so that you can be the one in charge. He says it's not so that you can be a domineering one over those that are placed in your charge, but you're to be an example of the flock. Here's the great thing about our team model of leadership. My way is not the highway or the right way. The elders make decisions, and the group of us gather together, and we make decisions as men, old and young, from all walks of life, come together, and we see what is best for the church. Your church is not led by one who can, who can make decisions about anything or everything. It is made by a group of men who have been affirmed by this congregation to lead this flock well. And some of you say, well, why is that so important? Because it is easy for one to make a decision that would hurt a church. At 25 years of age, had I not had the elders around me as I preached and taught this congregation, I don't know where this church would be. 
I mean, my goodness, some of the things that I was thinking how a church should be run at 25, I was so glad for some of the older and wiser men around me who would say, hey, Tim, let's slow things down. Let's pray a little more. And so men who are completely different, who have been gifted in different ways, are able to lead well in that way. And notice, I'm going to add a word here. It's not on the screen, but there's a reward or risk that comes. Put that on the screen there. There's a reward or risk that can be received. There's a reward for leading well, but there's also a risk for not leading well. Notice what's over the elders. He says, when the chief shepherd, verse 4, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Well, when do you get that? You get that in glory. You get that in heaven. How do you get it? By leading well. And so notice when we get to heaven, just just play with me here for a moment. We're going to be in line for heaven, walking in, and we're going to be so excited ushering in the glorious kingdom of God. And we're going to get in there, and then you're going to hear the announcement. All elders, please report to line 45. All elders, it's time for your examination. And you guys are like, woohoo, we're going to heaven. We're all there. We're excited. And then you're going to see a group of elders. Oh, boy, it's evaluation time. And we're going to stand before the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And what he's going to talk about is, hey, brother, I gave you a charge over my people. How well did you lead? Tim, was it about money? Tim, was it about you getting your way? Tim, was it about so that people would see you as being important? Because if it was, you blew it. But those who serve well, we're going to get the crown of glory. Now, I hope it's not the Burger King crown that you can get. Okay, the idea here is it's the victor's crown. It's the crown that a victor would get back in the Greek Olympics. Some sort of, of crown of, of, of uh, some sort of greenery that would go around the victor of a race. We don't know what it looks like, but this is what we do know. That when we serve well as elders, we will spend all of eternity with this crown. And people will say, hey, there's one of the elders. There was a man who served God well in the flock. There's one who led as a shepherd, as an overseer of the souls of people. There is one who is an example to the people of God. That is a great responsibility. And with great responsibility comes great risk and great reward. So let me make this abundantly clear. We take the idea of eldering serious because God does. And because our eternity is going to be impacted as elders, we know we are under a more severe judgment as a result of what we do. So now, that brings us to ingredient number one. And I've got about seven minutes left. Okay? Ingredient number two. You think you're in a way scot-free church? Uh-uh. A church, if it wants to be a vibrant church, must be a church that willingly submits to its elders. So I've let the elders have it. They know their role. They know at the end of the day that, that we are going to stand before Christ. But what about the church? Notice he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Why does he separate the church and say, likewise, submit, but it's only the younger ones? Because the young men were the culprits of insubordination. And so Peter addresses that, the group that would struggle with submission the most while endorsing to the church that your job as a church is to willingly submit to its elders. 
You need to submit. Now, Peter has talked about this over and over again. Employees, be subject to your employers. Wives, submit to your husbands. Citizens, be subject to your governing authorities. Now he says within the church, church, submit to those who are in authority over you. Now, how do you do it? Very quickly, there are three things I want you to see. Number one, the church must know the balance between two extremes. It needs to know the balance between two extremes. On one side... The church needs to recognize that what eldering is, is not a dictatorship. It is not a dictatorship. Write that somewhere. Eldering is not a dictator, having a dictator. So when you see cult groups that are doing whatever their leader is telling them to do, that is not biblical eldering or shepherding. Biblical elders are to be examples of the flock, a recipients of God's grace who serve just as Jesus served us. As Jesus is the good shepherd, we are called to be good shepherds. If you want to see an example where God calls out shepherds in this way, Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10, where he says shepherds, spiritual shepherds were spiritually feasting and fleecing the sheep under their care. And God says, I will not have it. And so elders, we need to remember that this is not a dictatorship. That as we serve, we serve as fellow elders under our shepherd, Jesus Christ. But notice just as damaging as dictatorship by elders is on the other side, and this is going to catch some of you off guard, is the idea that the church is a democracy. You see, we've, we've, we've mingled the idea that because the democracy works for us as a government, as a country, that we think our church should be run in the same way. I want you to understand something. The church is not run by a government of the people, by the people, for the people. The church is run by Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, to his glory and honor forever. And Christ has said, my church is going to be led by a group of men who are going to have the opportunity to exercise oversight. You see, if the church is run by a democracy, and I know some of you have come from churches that that's the case, at the very base of a democracy, a true democracy, is anarchy. Because everybody gets to do what they want to do. And hopefully as a person that, that you have something you want, what is the job that you have in a democracy is to get other people around your idea. Think of the disastrous results that come when I don't like something that's going on as an individual that if I want to see it change, all I got to do is get a group of people to, to, to agree with me. And there are churches that are under hostility and under hostage, or, or taken hostage, not only by elders who are dictators, but by groups of people within churches that think it's their right and responsibility to lead the church. It's not. And as plain as day, I want you to know this in the most of a loving and careful way as I can say it, you as the church don't run the church. The elders do. And they do so fully recognizing that God is keeping an account so you have a responsibility to willingly submit. But you say, but Tim, here we go with the disclaimer again. Remember, every time we do this submission thing, here's the disclaimer. Your elders tell you to do something that's against God's word. Don't do it. But if it's a preference, if it's a, I don't feel like it, or I don't think I have to do it, well, then the Bible makes it clear you're not submitting. 
And there's some of you right now who find themselves who disagreeing with the elders. And it's not over a biblical thing. It's not over something clear. I just don't like it. Can I tell you something? You're not going to like a lot of the decisions the elders make. Because they're hard decisions. They're decisions that impact one in a good way and some ways impacts another. But we have to serve the body of Christ, not the individual. And if you don't understand it, just try to lead a family. I make a decision for a family and I impact four other people. I make a decision with the elders of the church and it involves a thousand people. You think we're ever going to agree on the color of a wall or the color of the carpet? No way. And so the elders have to prayerfully consider how to do that. And so be careful that elders, you don't dictate. Remember, congregation, that it ain't a democracy. God is the one in charge. His way is the only way. And the elders are going to be held accountable in eternity for how they led and they need to do it well and we've set checks and bounces where you say Tim what about the passage of scripture where the people of God spoke into things yes they did under the oversight of the elders Acts chapter 6 a great example where the elders and the apostles gave oversight and they said hey choose among you seven men we'll give you that responsibility you can do that the responsibility that's given to the congregation through the New Testament is over and over given by the elders that are giving care and oversight to the church. Let's make sure we balance that. Number three, number two there, we need to obey, you need to obey your elders without grumbling. Turn real quickly to Hebrews 13. If you're in 1 Peter, just go a couple books to the left through the book of James to the end of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13. The writer of Hebrews gives some words to you, the congregation, with regards to us, your leaders. And here is what he says in Hebrews 13, 17. Very clearly, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So we need to not grumble. It says that we're to do this at the end of verse 17 without groaning. The elders come and they say something you don't like. Oh man, what is their problem? What this means is don't be a Monday morning quarterback. It does you no good to walk out of this place and be like, man, but all preached a lame old message today. What's his problem? I'm sure I preach a lot of lame old messages. You know what your job is? Pray for me. Say, God, give him some better insight. He's missing it. When the elders make a decision, don't sit there and get in your groups of having coffee sitting there. Man, what are those elders doing? Man, what's their problem? I don't understand what's going on. Why are they doing this stuff? Man, if we were elders, you know, it's always the case. If we were, you want to be an elder? You're going to lose your Monday nights, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, Friday nights, and then Sunday you do all ministry. You want that? You better be called because it ain't fun a lot of the time. And the guys I serve with, they're better than I am. The guys that serve this flock love you guys to death. And they make decisions. There was a decision that was made this last week. I will tell you, there were tears around the table of elders. It's a hard one, guys. we got to make a hard one. We may not be very popular after this decision. This decision impacts a lot of people. And with tears and with a lot of prayer, around a table, we prayed and we made a decision. And we believe it's God's decision, but it ain't easy. And so understand, your job isn't to grumble. That's human nature. Stop doing it. Why? Hebrews says, so that it will be 
a joy with the elders. Notice the job of the congregation is to create an atmosphere of joy and blessing for your elders. Let me encourage you. I've been an elder 12 years now. And I came into a pretty difficult situation. The team of elders that came in, it was a difficult one. The church wasn't all that unified. And I will tell you that the last 12 years has been an absolute joy to serve you. Been an absolute joy. But with that word of encouragement is a word of warning. Don't stop now. Let us serve you well by you submitting. That doesn't mean you can't say, ask questions. It doesn't mean you can't give uh, ideas. It doesn't mean that, but just don't do it in a grumbling way. Don't do it in a way that's non-submissive, but do it in a way that honors God. Well, how do we get there? Let me close with this. It'll be very quick. The final ingredient that we have to see is a people who humbly serve one another. Here's a word for elders. Here's a word for congregation. What do you do? He says, all of you now, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's an action there. Number one, clothe yourself. What does humility mean? It means that you put on the apron. The idea there is that you put the apron on to serve others. What is Peter talking about? Peter goes back to John 13. Remember in John 13, all the disciples are like, hey, when we get into the kingdom, I'm going to sit at Jesus' right hand. I'm most important. And then James says, no, I'm the important one. And then the others, no, I'm the one that Jesus loves the most. And Jesus stops. And Jesus gets up. And he walks over and he grabs a towel and a basin. And he puts on an apron. And he starts washing the disciples' feet. You want to be a healthy and vibrant church? It's going to start with elders who put on aprons. The elders shouldn't sit back and be like, hey, look at us, we're the important guys. We should be amongst the people serving them. You should see the elders getting their hands dirty every once in a while. They shouldn't have to do that all the time. The Bible makes it clear our job is to be involved in the word and prayer. But we should be serving you. And you should see us putting on an apron with humility, loving on you. That was seen this week, this, two weeks ago, with all the flooding. I was so blessed to hear of a couple people that left water in their basement so they could go to the aid of someone else in this church who had waters in theirs. That's service and servant hearts. I got water, but you know what? My issue isn't as important as the issue over here, and so I'm going to go take care of this issue because people are more important then my issues or struggles are. This is what the church should look like. And we do so because there's an acknowledgement. Finally, we see that God opposes the proud. The idea here is that God stands opposed against us. Do you want that this morning? Do you want God against you? We've already got next week, we're going to hear that we've got a devil who's roaming around seeking who he may devour. We've got to resist him. Do we want God while we're fighting the devil to be resisting us? Absolutely not. And so Village Bible Church, we need to be a people who are humble because God opposes pride in us. God opposes a church that is proud of their accomplishments, proud of their positions. And the elders must lead to this end. You must see your elders as an example. And I pray that you do, so that God may give us more grace. As you see elders who are humbly serving, that the Lord knows our hearts, and he gives us more and more grace. Your elders need grace. You as a congregation need grace. 
We as a church needs God's grace, not his opposition. So put on the apron, whatever role you play, and serve one another. Peter gives us a word for elders to biblically shepherd. He gives a church a word to willingly submit. And he gives us all a word to humbly serve one another. Let's do it so that God's grace may abound in our season of need. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your word this morning. And I pray specifically now for the leaders of this church, the elders, Lord. And I pray for them. Lord, I pray for Al Gonerman, Tim Bedall, Mario Arendang, Scott Cap. I pray for Keith Duff, Darren Malone, Kevin O'Brien, John Pilkington, John Redman. Lord, I pray for the elders at the other campuses of our church. And I pray that, Lord, they would walk closely with you. Lord, I pray that they would be men of example, men of steadfastness, men of humility. Lord, I pray that they would be men who would never seek to fleece this flock, but serve it. Lay down their lives for it so that you one day will say to them, well done, good and faithful servants. Lord, I pray for this church and I pray that you would continue to give this church a heart to willingly submit to their leaders. It won't always be easy, Lord. I know that. It won't always be the way that maybe they wanted to see it go. But Lord, remind the church that elders serve you, and they do so knowing that they have to give an account. So Lord, I pray that the people of this church will make the job of eldering a joy and not a burden, so that the elders may serve them well. Lord, I pray that as elders, we will do all that we can to protect this church from dictatorship, while all the while the church pushes back the cultural norm of a democracy idea as well. And the Lord, the way we do that, we pray that you would clothe us with your humility. We don't want to be proud, Lord, but it is so easy to be that way. And so we pray that we'll make that conscious effort and decision to put on humility instead of pride. To promote others instead of the promotion of self. Lord, I pray that as we do these things, as these ingredients get put in under the oversight of elders, that this church will continue to be a vibrant and healthy church that continues to see an ever-growing group of people come in and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be changed by it. Now, Lord, we go out into this world where we are strangers in a strange land. Empower us to be the church you've called us to be so that you'll receive the glory, honor, and praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.